This is the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 104. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm your host, Monica Louie, and today I'm bringing you another incredible interview. Today, we are talking about Facebook and Instagram ads for e-commerce brands. But first, if you are new to the podcast and you don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I'm Monica Louie, and I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist. I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight-figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $3 million in ad spend and served thousands of students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And as you know, Facebook and Instagram ads are always changing. So if you want to stay in the know with all the changes that are happening related to Facebook and Instagram ads, join my free email newsletter. When you join at monicalouie.com slash guide, you will get my free Facebook ad starter kit as a bonus. As I mentioned, today we are talking all about Facebook and Instagram ads, but with my specialty being in digital products, today we are talking about e-commerce brands. So I've got a very special guest here to share her wisdom with us. My guest today is Jessie Healy. Jessie advises and trains e-com businesses on how they can grow their profits through social media advertising, Google AdWords, and email marketing. Since landing in the UK with her backpack in 2005, she has been building digital businesses online. She helped to grow some of the UK's most successful startups, as well as advising the government and not-for-profits on digital strategy. After years of running multi-million pound digital campaigns for the likes of Etsy, Real Player, Future Publishing, and Trinity Mirror, she got fed up with the status quo and set out to create her own anti-agency and Webtopia was born. Since then, she has launched an accelerator for e-com brands to help them learn how to scale using the methods Webtopia uses with their clients. In today's interview, Jessie shares how she's grown and scaled her agency, how they serve their clients effectively and help them scale, and what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads for e-commerce brands. I promise you this is going to be super helpful if you have an e-commerce biz or you're thinking about adding e-com to your product line, definitely check out this episode. But before we dive in, I wanna make sure that you know you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 104. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 104. All right, here's my interview with Jesse Healy from webtopia.co. Hey, Jesse, thank you so much for joining me on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. It's always lovely talking to you. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So, you and I met in Cat Howell's group, the Academy. We went through her what high-level coaching program for agency owners and you are an e-com Facebook ads agency owner. 
doing amazing things over there. And so why don't you tell a little bit about yourself? And then I definitely want to go back into your story of how you, how you became this as successful ads agency owner. Sure thing. Yeah. So I run a digital marketing agency specializing in Facebook, Instagram, Google ads, and email marketing specifically for the e-com niche. And we specialize in helping, I guess, mostly female centric brands in the sort of premium niche, sort of high, mid to high end kind of product price range. And we help them go from like traction to kind of scaling up. So if they've already got like the website's working, they're getting conversions, they're making sales, they might be running their own ads themselves, or they might have another agency that's running the ads, but not very well. And we take them and kind of help them really scale up their advertising and scale up their revenue. So that's kind of our sweet spot. Love it. And you are in London and I know that you didn't start off in London though. Where are you originally from? Yeah, I'm originally from New Zealand. I moved to London originally when I was like 25 and then I stayed here for like six years and then I moved back to New Zealand and I met my partner who's British and he persuaded me to come back here. So I'm back here again. (laughs) I've been here 10 years this time around. Great. Okay. So I I just love your accent. (laughs) So (laughs) if I end up going into a British accent, I think I do a pretty good one once in a while, but anyway. (laughs) Okay. So, so what led you to become an agency owner to start your agency? What were you doing before you started your agency? And then how did that happen? So I'm like digital marketing through and through for my whole career. Like basically my first job out of uni, I worked at this kind of, it was actually like an online learning startup, but before like, you know, before e-learning was like a big thing like it is now. And they had this like online course that they were trying to promote. And I was doing digital marketing without really knowing that it was, I'd buy banners and I'd try and like figure out how Google worked. So that was way back in like 2000 and I guess 2004. So that ages me, but yes, I've been in digital marketing my entire career. I moved out to London in my mid twenties and I had to get a job and I had a little bit of that on my CV. So I just got jobs in digital marketing. And back then you just had to have something on your resume that said it and you could get a job and anything to do with digital marketing. But I worked my way up and I worked for media companies. And then I started working for kind of tech companies. I worked for a US tech company called Real Player. And then I moved to Etsy, which was like this dream job that I landed working for the UK office of Etsy International, heading up their performance marketing. So I was responsible for like $10 million in ad spend every year running ads mostly on Google and a little bit on Facebook as well at the time. But sadly, I got laid off from that job and I got another job soon after helping kind of startups in in a kind of accelerator. But that company went bust and I was, by the time they went bust, I was seven months pregnant and it was a massive shock to the system to have been laid off twice in a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty destabilizing given that I was like, you know, I was a corporate girl. I was doing well. I was flying high. Everything was kind of working out for me and I'd never been laid off in my life. And then that happened twice in one year. So it was a bit of a shock. And at seven and a half months pregnant, I wasn't going to go and look for another job. I didn't think many people would hire me when I was that pregnant. So um, I decided to just put some feelers out for to do some freelance work. But I had that kind of imposter syndrome of like, you know, like I was used to being corporate using agencies and stuff, but I just didn't know if people would like hire me as a consultant. But it turns out they did. And like pretty soon, very quickly, I had lots of, you know, I was had my son and he, I was at home with him, but I had 
you know, I was just the kind of person that always wanted to be like learning stuff and doing stuff. So I started picking up freelance opportunities and it kind of snowballed from there. And then when he, by the time he was like one, I had quite a lot of clients and I was getting to a point where I was like needing help with it in order to keep growing. And I, but even then I didn't really think, can I have an agency? Like, who am I to think that? Like, I definitely just didn't think I hadn't worked in an agency before. Like, why would I, why would I be able to have an agency? And funnily enough, it was Cat House ads, <laughs> like saw her ads and she talked about just becoming an agency owner and she kind of made it seem like really possible. So she kind of planted that seed and I, I ended up in her funnels and I kind of watched her videos and her webinars and got some good ideas from what she was putting out in terms of her content and eventually decided to join the academy, created a brand name, made my first hire. And then from there, I've just kept, it's just kept growing and it's just grown and grown. And, and now we're, you know, more than, we're on track to be more than a million dollars turnover this year. Love it. Wonderful. Congratulations. Thanks. So that was back. Let's see, you started your freelance back. What year was that? So my son was born in 2017. So yeah, it would have been like April, 2017. Wow. Yeah. So he's four. He's just turned four. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. So lots to learn over that time frame. I know. So we've basically been on the same path, similar, similar trajectory, similar timeline. Really? And yeah. And so I started mine early 2017. Well, actually it wasn't even in like an agency. I was doing Facebook ads coaching. So kind of similar with how you started as well. And, but I mean, there's been so much demand that people are looking for good people to manage their yep. ads and to help them grow their businesses. And so why did you decide to stick with the e-com niche? Did you, when you first started out, did you kind of dabble in different, different markets or is that what you had done in your corporate career? So you felt most comfortable with it. How'd you, how'd you land on e-com? Yeah. So I had always, in my corporate career, I'd always been kind of B to C brands. So I'd always been used to kind of driving, you know, running campaigns that were direct, that were maybe not D to C as we see it now with product brands, but they were always consumer facing brands rather than like B2B. So I wasn't very au fait or knowledgeable about kind of lead gen or any of those types of funnels. I just didn't have that kind of awareness. So there was a natural fit for me for kind of B2C. And then I landed a really big freelance client. It was actually through an old boss of mine. He kind of brought me on board with a, a startup, a fast growth e-com startup. And they had a really big budget. They had like a hundred thousand pounds. So what's that? $130,000 monthly budget to spend on e-com ads, Facebook ads for to drive their e-com sales. So that just gave me like a really great grounding for like really flexing my skills and testing it. And it was like, I was, I knew a fair bit about Facebook ads at that point, but having a budget like that, it's like a whole different story. So I had to really like lean into learning it really well. And I, that was at the point at which I started paying for courses and paying for, you know, people to mentor me and my ads, my ads knowledge so that I could get it really do a really good job with that level of spend. And the ads did really, really well. Like I was able to make an instant improvement on what had been done before and like really made it work for that brand. And I'd worked for them for like a year. And so by the end of that year, I really was like a Facebook ad expert. Awesome. And that, yeah, and that was, sorry, to your question. And that was e-com. So 
then I had like this amazing case study f- for e-com and other e-com brands were kind of approaching me. My case studies all made sense for that niche. And so when Cat Howe kind of talked a lot about niching and, you know, people were giving me advice about niching down, it was just such a natural fit to me to niche down to e-com. Plus, I just love it. I love working with product brands. Like people have a cool idea for a product and then they create a Shopify site and then with the right ads, you can actually get them sales really, really quickly. And it's just really gratifying. Yes. Very cool. Okay. So what kind of tools, you mentioned Shopify, what kind of tools are you working with, with your clients as far as the ad side and reporting and all of that? I'm curious what, where there's overlap with us on the the lead gen side of things and what may be different. So obviously Shopify, we don't, we don't work with Shopify with our current clients, but I know that some digital, it's kind of becoming more popular with digital products now, but what are the common tools that you're using? Yeah, so most of our clients are on Shopify and we absolutely love Shopify as a platform. If you're in, you know, a would-be e-com brand and you're thinking about which platform to go on, I would say don't even bother doing any research, just go on Shopify. It's just so perfect for startup e-com brands. I saw an amazing stat the other day that like I think it's combined all of the Shopify stores the combined revenue is like bigger than some of the biggest brands in the world. So it's really a platform that's been road tested really well. Shopify, we love. For email marketing, we hands down always recommend Clavio. It's built for e-commerce. It's an email marketing platform, a bit like MailChimp, but just so much more bespoke to e-com. It allows you to set up kind of easily set up kind of drag and drop flows that allow you to welcome people to your list, follow them up after they purchase, win them back, um, encourage them to replenish, abandon cart. All of that stuff is just like out of the box, really simple to create with Clavio. It's, it syncs up with Shopify and it's, it's truly amazing. Tools in our agency, we use Watergraph, which is a reporting tool that kind of pulls data in from the various platforms like Google and Facebook. And it just makes really nice, pretty graphs that are easy for our clients to digest. And then in the agency, we use ClickUp to like manage all our task management and Slack obviously is a huge thing. We're a fully remote agency. So having a way to stay in touch and communicate is really key. What else do we use tool-wise? I'd say those are the main ones. Yeah. So what do you use for reports? Is, is that what Watergraph does? Or... Yeah, that's what Watergraph does for okay. our reporting to our clients. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. And then how are you finding your, your team members? How did you initially find that first hire? And then I know you've grown your team significantly since. So where are you finding your team members? Yeah, I would say finding team members is probably one of the hardest things about scaling your agency. Like there was a lot of hard lessons along the way about like figuring out the best way to kind of screen applicants and manage the whole recruitment process. We've now got a really good kind of funnel in place where we have, you know, we know where to advertise. We advertise on a few different platforms, LinkedIn being one of them. LinkedIn's pretty good in the UK for applicants. And then there's a few other job boards that like, or job sites that you can kind of place the ad and it will put the ad up a bunch of different places. But wherever you advertise, you need to kind of funnel people in somewhere. And and as a business, busy business owner, you need a way to kind of filter them. So we've got a system where they get sent to an Airtable form to fill out their details and upload their CV or resume. And then like we've got team members internally who would be assigned to kind of rating them and grading them. And then if they make the grade, we'd get them to send a video application and then we grade that as well. And then if they've kind of passed those various tests along the way, like we're seeing how they write, we're seeing how they speak, we're asking them to talk about their experience. So then by the time they make it to interview, we already know they've kind of gone through quite a few hoops. 
So that works really well in terms of as a funnel. But I would say like half of my employees probably come by some kind of recommendation from other team members or someone that I know, like a coach or someone in my network that has recommended someone. Yeah, it's there's there's no substitute really for like the word of mouth of the fact that like good employees know other good people. But we have found candidates through advertising and through using our funnel for sure. Great. So do you have them do any kind of test project or yeah. like ad mock-ups or anything to kind of see their work as a, because I know in hiring and learning a lot about hiring myself over the years, it's one thing to find somebody who sounds great, who looks great on paper, who interviews well, who can, you know, be face to camera in a, in a video, but it's another thing to see like the quality of work there. Totally. Yeah. So it goes form and that has like some, uh, some questions they ask us and then video. And then we do interview then like a short interview with one of my more like not me or the senior team, more like junior team members um, or mid-level team, team members. And then if they think they are a good prospect, then we send them an exercise and the exercise usually involves auditing that accounts and answering a series of questions about the data that then checks that they have an understanding of like ads manager and can kind of like think analytically. And then we'll ask them to put together a creative brief for a particular like theoretical client. So then we get to again, see how they think and see how they, how they kind of strategize about marketing from that exercise. That's then the decider about whether they get through to final stage, which is interview with me or another senior team member. Great. That sounds like a really great process. And then are you checking references too? Well, I should be. I have done in the past, but actually that's a step that we've probably neglected to do lately. I tend to get excited when someone makes it right through that and they're still keen and we're still keen because what's happened a few times is people have got through to that final stage and then they've like been offered another job and you miss Uh, them. So it's it's tough. Yeah. You want to, you want to snatch up the good ones when you can, but you also want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence. It's a balancing act. Yeah. So you have a fully remote team. So is everybody in the UK or are they spread out elsewhere? They are mostly UK and Europe. We have a couple of team members in India and the rest are UK and Europe. We specify that they must be able to work with in terms of an overlap of like six hours per day with our time zone. We have had it. We did hire someone who was amazing from, he was a UK, a British guy, grew up in the UK, studied over here, but happened to live in Vietnam. But in the end, he actually left us just because of the time difference, like working into the evening was really tricky for him and we need that crossover. So we now kind of specify like really it has to be two, three hours from the UK time zone. That makes a big difference. We've, we've tested different, you know, overseas and, or people on our team, most people have started off as, as part-time and testing, you know, if they have a full-time job working in extra hours and we really need that, that dedication too. Yeah. And yeah. So what are your team meetings look like? How, how are you working together to manage and support your clients, but then also working together to keep everybody, as we know, Facebook and Instagram ads are changing all the time. Plus you also do Google ads. So how do you keep your team up to date with the most recent changes and, and process changes Yeah, and then also communicate with your, with your clients? So with clients, we tend to have like either a month, depending on what they sort of want and need, we have anything from a weekly meeting to a monthly meeting on Zoom. And it's great because because of the pandemic, our clients have all got really like used to being on Zoom. Whereas before, I think they might've tried to sort of ask for a face-to-face meeting or to like for us to organize to like meet in person. Whereas now it's just standard on Zoom. And I think that will stay now. 
in terms of the team, so we have, we don't, we used to have a daily huddle, but now we have like four a week and they're not everyone comes to every single one. So Monday's kind of like just go over the details of the week and everything. Tuesday we have, we call it traffic light Tuesday and we check in on the results of the clients. We, the team have to grade them like from green to red. And we just talk about bounce ideas amongst everyone in the team about what to do about a particular struggling client. And there we might, for instance, if one team member is like testing out a strategy that's worked really well, well, then that another team member will kind of go, oh, that might suit my client. And I know the campaign managers do have like one-to-one meetings, you know, ad hoc when they want to just like strategize about a particular client client that they're struggling with. So we do that. And then we have like Thriving Thursday, which is like celebrating wins and like congratulating the team. And that's just like such a feel good meeting that I think has done a lot for our culture. Just a chance to give a shout out to another team member and also talk about something you've achieved. And then on Wednesdays, it's just the senior management team kind of getting together in the morning. So those are the kind of main team meetings. And then we have like every two weeks we get together for a training. So on different topics, I might do some training or Maureen, our senior client success manager might do some training or the Google guy might do some training. So the rest of the team. So we try and do that. And then I purchase like, you know, these kind of online training events that happen like e-commerce world and things like that. I might purchase a ticket for someone and then they'll come back and kind of summarize what they learned from that. Plus I'm in a bunch of masterminds, so I'm kind of sharing knowledge and ideas I get from those with the team. That's great. Lots of learning happening and yeah, communication. <laughs> yeah. And then you also use Slack to, to manage. So do you communicate in Slack via like have client channels and then separate like topic channels as far as training yeah. or education or updates or things like that? Yeah. We have quite a sort of regimented system with Slack because I think if you don't, it can get messy, like where the conversations are. So And when people kind of step out of the kind of process, I'll like direct them back in. Like if I get DMs from people, I'll say, take that back to the client channel so that we can all see. Or if clients start DMing us on Slack, we'll ask them to put it back into the public channel so that we can not monitor exactly, but kind of be abreast of the conversations, right? So we have, yeah, we have an internal client channel per client and then a client facing channel per client. And then we have like topic related channels like HR or agency book updates or must read or industry news, things like that. And then we have a funny, silly one where we just put GIFs and memes and things like that. I love it. So it sounds like company culture is really important to you. And I know Mm -hmm. that you say on your website, you're the anti-agency agency. So what does that mean to you? What, why did you set out to create an anti-agency agency? How are you different from traditional agencies? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So my experience being having been client side for my whole career was like over and over the agencies would come and pitch to me. It would be super impressive that have really senior strategic people in the room. Then the moment the work would start, you would be put with someone really junior who wasn't very strategic, wasn't very confident, didn't really have a lot of experience. And I don't know like what I, I know the agency model, generally the big London agency, probably the same in the US is to kind of do that. So where, you know, you have the lowest paid person possible doing as much of the work as possible because it cuts costs, right? But I also wonder if maybe the problem was too around niching. Like if the agency was big in general, they didn't necessarily know how to deal with like a particular business type. So I think we, we're, we're different from that in two ways. One is my team are really strategic and well-trained and have a strong kind of level of experience that I think is beyond what your standard kind of junior person in a big agency would have. 
And I think then the other side of it is the niching. So because we're niched very much to e-com and also within e-com, a certain sort of type and style of e-com brand, we've got repeatable systems that we're testing and refining and perfecting all the time. And so when we get a new client, we really know what to do. We really know what to advise them on their about their website and about their email flows and what ads are likely to work, what audiences are likely to work. So we can give bring that level of expertise that maybe a bigger agency actually couldn't because they're trying to wear so many hats and be everything to everyone. But yeah, so the anti-agency thing is, I guess, just a positioning around kind of being different and being more like a partner to our client and an extension of their marketing team rather than this kind of fancy big office sort of Mad Men days agency <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. That's, I love that. I love that so much. My team and I have been talking a lot about that too, about how we want to position ourselves to be marketing partners with our clients. Yeah. Not just, you're not just hiring us to be an ads manager to manage no. your ads because we, we feel like we bring so much more to the table. We really want to, you know, help and advise them to, to scale up their business. So yeah, I feel like, totally. I, yeah, I feel like we're like so aligned with that. And so with e-com being your focus, you know, we've had many changes with iOS 14, Apple's iOS 14 affecting Facebook ads and really, I mean, all the apps on the app store that, that want to attract data from their users. Mm-hmm. What have been the effects for e-com brands? What should e-com businesses be looking at? What, should cha- what changes should they be taking or actions they should be taking as a result of iOS 14? Yeah. I mean, I guess we're still kind of, we're still finding out what it's going to be like, right? Like as you know, people who are updating to iOS 14 are largely opting out of tracking. We know that, but not everyone has updated to the new version yet, right? So as time goes on and more and more people update, the situation will evolve. I also think that Facebook and Shopify probably have a plan. I think they're going to evolve. My theory is maybe having some kind of like version of Shopify that sits within the Facebook app so that you don't have to leave the app to then be tracked when you make the purchase. That's Hmm. one of the kind of working ideas of what might happen. But for now, what we've seen is a lot of data disruption, a lot of data loss. We're seeing that oftentimes the revenue of the store is not impacted, but the data on Facebook ads manager is telling us that there's less sales happening. So there's data loss in terms of the the actual track sales, which means we've got less information to optimize with, which makes it really difficult. Um, So, and then also kind of on a sort of more tactical level, what we're noticing is certain types of audiences are working better than others. So like lookalike audiences are not working as well, whereas interest-based audiences or audiences based off rather than pixel events, but in in app events. So lookalikes of Facebook engages are working much better than lookalikes of purchases, for instance. So there's some kind of tactical things we're doing differently. Broader audiences, more consolidation is something that we found to be working better and kind of simplifying the account to allow it to work. And also, I guess, bearing in mind that there seems to be delays in the data. So not making decisions too quickly or on too short a time window, working off a kind of a seven day window and then making sure you look back like a few days later if you turn something on off because actually it might end up driving a sale. So you might have, it might actually be doing better than you thought. So we're just kind of subtly adapting our, the way we optimize based on the new situation. I guess from a more strategic point of view as well, like we're encouraging clients to like look at other channels, 
to really lean into email marketing. And we as an agency have added that as a service recently, kind of as a result of these changes, was something we always recommended to clients that they should have their automated flow setting up, set up, but they didn't necessarily have the time to kind of do it. So we've added that as a service so we can help them with that. And I think for products that are like higher longer consideration window than a seven day, like something you have to think about, like a, you know, like maybe a home decor item or, or a sofa or a larger kind of more expensive product. We'll probably be testing doing more lead gen, i.e. like collecting email addresses in exchange for like some kind of offer or, or prize drawer. And then encouraging our clients to set up flows of, you know, email that happens off the back of that sign up that works as a in place of retargeting because we're going to probably lose a lot of the ability to retarget and a lot of e-com advertising is very much based on retargeting. A lot of the sales actually end up happening in the retargeting part of the funnel rather than at the top of the funnel and with no ability, if people have opted out of tracking, you won't be able to retarget them. So finding a new way to like continue the conversation with them after they first visit your site is going to be really key. That's a great, that's great insights, great advice. With the retargeting and the, and the lead gen, aren't you able to get back in front of them based on the email address that they provide, even if they've opted out tracking? Yeah, exactly. So if they opt in to the, if they opt in to give you their email address and as long as you're like compliantly collecting that email address, depending on, you know, what jurisdiction you're in, then yeah, you can then feed that list back into Facebook and retarget them. Yeah. But again, you're still going to have only, I mean, aver- a good percentage sign up to email is like 5%. So you wouldn't want to rely on people just happen to sign up to your email, like doing a campaign that actually with its, with the goal being email sign up and then having like a, a very well thought out follow-up plan is a good strategy to, to go after. Very cool. So what kind of ads are working best right now or ad strategies working best in the e-com space? We're noticing that like single image ads are working better than video at the moment for some, I mean, as a general trend and certainly like a lot of what like industry peers are talking about and what we're seeing as well is just like the quality of the creative has to be really good. That the situation of having less data means that we're less able to rely on the algorithm to kind of find us people that are like hungry to buy the particular product that we offer. And so the creative has to work harder to do the convincing of people who might not have been convinced otherwise, right? So it's my feeling that in this kind of new world where there's less data and less kind of trackability, that really good creative is going to be kind of king again. And what does really good creative look like? Well, I guess creative that stands out in the news feed that's like different from what everyone else is seeing, that gets to the point quickly that quickly grabs people's attention as to why is this relevant to them and what problem does it solve? You know, real good marketing principles apply to e-com creative, but then you need to translate those principles for the medium, right? Which is you've got a few seconds to grab their attention. You've got, you want to get their attention in the first few seconds when they're scrolling past and you want to look, ideally you don't want to look too much like an ad. You want to look like something different that people would pay attention to. So using kind of mobile first authentic style creative rather than something that's like filmed in a studio or with lots of post-production so for instance like for fashion e-com if you're if you're doing a fashion shoot grab out your phone and chat to the model while she's wearing the product and ask her what it's like and like you can create quite an authentic video then of someone you know in your product showing it on their body how it looks but it's a bit more accessible because it's just been filmed on a mobile so 
that kind of mobile first style creative. And then it's still very much true that like videos with testimonials, with like social proof, with endorsement from other brands are so such an important part of the marketing mix on in Facebook ads, especially for independent brands where the trust isn't there if people haven't heard of you. So leaning into like either customer testimonial videos or quotes with like screen grabs from like the major platforms and you can kind of mash them up together. You can mash up lots of different customer videos. All that stuff is, those are kind of like the bread and butter of good e-com ads. So with the creative being so important, how much time do you spend on developing copy? Do you find that short copy, like more to the point works better? Does it vary by product or the price, the like the price of the product? Or do you test long versus short? Where, where do you fall on the, the copy side of things? Yeah, I mean, my general, like if I was to like put money on which one was going to do best for like the kind of independent DTC econ brands we work with, I would generally put money on longer copy. I wouldn't say it's like long, like coaching funnel copy, which can be like, you know, almost like a thousand words sometimes, right? But definitely like two to three paragraphs where you're getting in a few proof points, you're kind of explaining a bit more about what the product is and what it does, tends to win but we do test short versus long. And I'd say like two thirds of the time, the longer copy works and especially top of funnel longer, because you've got to like, there's a lot to kind of introduce and explain. The reason why I think that is, is because people sort of, they're hesitant to leave Facebook or Instagram. They want a bit more information before they come. And so, you know, like not everyone will expand the the copy out, but for those that do, you're giving them that little bit more and you're a chance to kind of show more proof of why your brand and product are interesting to them. So yeah, in our copy process, we have an in-house copywriter. We have a kind of copy and creative person who comes up with the marketing hooks, puts together like ideas for the creative and puts together the copy all in, all as one kind of project. And he's kind of an expert on, on that, that area. So that's something we've recently invested in having that team member to like help the media buyers, because I find media buyers are often very the more data people, more technical people. And for, to find a media buyer who's data and technical and good at copy and hooks and right. creative is quite tricky. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very similar to our setup. We have an in-house copywriter and graphics person and our ad strategist will brainstorm ideas with them and kind of, you know, based on what they're seeing and the comments on the ads and and seeing what the data is telling them. But then the the copywriter kind of takes the lead on, on that end. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Works well. So, and you you recently came out with a program to help teach others how to structure Facebook ads for the e-com space. So I'm super yeah. excited about this because I know there's definitely a huge need for a great program that is Facebook ad specific. And of course, I'm sure you cover Instagram ads as well. But so mm-hmm. tell tell us about the program and what's included. What will they learn? What will they take away? So the program is set up because as a, you know, I started off my career, my freelance career before I started the agency, very much helping some like really early stage e-com startups. And I really loved, it was really rewarding helping them kind of not make the mistakes or waste the money that they would waste if they hadn't, you know, had my advice. So as my agency grew and our pricing had to grow as well in order to cover the costs of running an agency, we were having to turn away these smaller e-com businesses and also, we were also getting requests from sometimes bigger e-com businesses who didn't want an agency, but wanted 
the advice and guidance that an agency has access to. So, you know, we have 30 Mm -hmm. clients and we can really see patterns across what's happening across the space that an in-house team only has one ad account to look at. So those two kind of insights kind of rolled into one and made me realize that it would be really great to create a program where people could access our advice and guidance without actually kind of becoming a full done for you agency client. So we created the program. It's called Ecom Rockets. We've just launched like a month ago. We've got 13 businesses in there that we're helping to grow. And it's a combination really of like self-paced learning, video training. And we actually cover Facebook and Instagram ads, Google ads, and email marketing. So everything we do in the agency, you've got access to training, blueprints, checklists, downloads, all of that stuff. But the real kind of special part of it, I think, is the coaching. So we have two or three, what, one or two sessions a week with either me or my team, where you can just drop in, ask us questions, get advice on your strategy, your creative, everything like that. So it's proving to be a really fun way for smaller brands or brands that are running their ads in-house to to really sharpen up their skills and and grow and get the results that they deserve. Well, that, that is awesome. That is, I love how it's fully robust and you're taking, you know, the wealth of knowledge from your agency and your many years and experience in the digital marketing and incorporating it into a great resource for e-com businesses to really flourish with Facebook ads and Instagram ads and Google ads and email marketing and all the things that are really going to help them scale to the next level. So with all of your experience, what mistakes have you seen across the board that e-com brands are making online, whether it's with their ad strategy or just in general, that's kind of preventing them from scaling and growing to that next level? Wow. So many. I would say one of the mistakes that really bugs me is when people want to spend money on ads before they've kind of made their site perform really well and before they've got their email flows and email stuff set up because, you know, you're paying all this money to get traffic to your site, but if you're not, if you're not giving that traffic the best chance of converting once it gets to your site, and also if you're not taking advantage of being able to capture their email address and then build a relationship with them after they sign up for your email, you're leaving so much money on the table and and throwing away money like getting people into your funnel, but then not keeping them in your funnel. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. I think there's sometimes basic things like just not checking the speed of the site, not having enough social proof on the site. So it's really important. Like one of the brands in my accelerator today we had a look at her site. She didn't have an about us page. She didn't have any kind of statement about her brand and what she was all about. She's a sustainable brand. She hadn't mentioned it. There was nothing about the founder on there. So for her site to kind of stand out when people have clicked on it compared to other kind of fashion sites on the, on the internet, there was nothing that made her kind of trustworthy. So I think that's a really key thing is like remembering that traffic coming to you is coming to you cold you could be anything. You could be this fly-by-night kind of dodgy site and you need to do everything you can to build trust and make your site look trustworthy. And there's some really, you know, basic ways to do that, like having any press on there, having testimonials, laying it out in a way that's kind of familiar to a user and not too kind of crazy, making sure it's fast, making it really easy to find like add to cart and shop now buttons. So there's a lot of things like that, that, you know, sound really basic that people just aren't doing and then they're wanting to go and pay for traffic. And then in terms of the ads themselves, it's like the thing I see so much, I save them all the time, these ads that just like don't actually tell you what they're selling or what the benefit is or give a really strong or compelling reason to buy. And I think it's so common for people to be so in their own head or blinkered about their business that they're not realizing they have to tell people what their product is and why it's it's great. So yeah, those are some of the mistakes I definitely see. 
That's really, those are really great insights because I see that too with ads. It's like, you've got to, you've got to tell people why your product is so great. That's where you've got to sell yeah. your, you know, what, whatever your offer is in the ad, whether it's a free download or a physical product or whatever it is, you've got to toot your own horn because you're paying to, for people to see that ad. Absolutely. So you need to, yeah. So what are like the keys, the top keys to a really high performing ad or landing page or ad landing page combo that you've seen work really well together? I think an ad where you've got some kind of social proof, whether it's a review or a testimonial from a customer, and then going through to a site, the the product page, usually the funnel would be to send people straight to a product page. Definitely you want to maintain scent from the ad to the product page. So like you want to make sure you can see elements that you saw on the ad and that it kind of matches the product page. And then, yeah, the product page should do a bunch of things. So it should tell people enough information about the product that they're able to buy it. So even though you want to talk mostly about benefits, the product page is your opportunity now to talk about features as well. Whereas the ad itself might not talk about features so much and might be just about the benefits product page needs to give people like, so if it was fashion, it needs to have enough information about the material, the manufacturer, you want to talk, give people opportunity to know about, you know, the shipping, how long it's going to take, what your, you know, packaging is like, all of that stuff. People want the details. And I think there's a myth that people won't read a website and that you should just keep it super snappy. Actually, we find that like more detail is more important, but also like that bringing in that storytelling element and giving people permission to purchase something. So we have a client called Navy Gray. She does luxury sustainable knitwear and she, every product page has a kind of story to it of like how the jumper will stay with you, the jumper being what you guys would call a sweater, but stays with you, you know, through the generations and why it will last a long time. And so by the time you've read this page, you can kind of like really imagine this like sweater in your life. And she has an, a phenomenal conversion rate because of the way she does that. So having a, a ton of detail and then also having the reviews and the other social proof on the site, all of this stuff creates that trust that you need, which you wouldn't need to do if you walked into a physical store, right? Because you're in a physical store, you're going to get the product. It's not going to go missing. It's real. It's there. There's less convincing that needs to be done in that way. So you have to almost kind of mimic the trust of a real world store by having these kind of extra elements to make people able to kind of buy from a stranger off the internet, essentially. Yes. I mean, yes. Because in this day and age, I mean, really anybody can, you know, the beauty of the internet is that anybody can easily start a business, but that also means that there are going to be some unfortunately untrustworthy businesses out there that are just trying to, you know, put up a shopping cart to take your money. So I think building that trust is super important and having the testimonials and the social proof that you shared in the ad to help start to build that trust from the first touch point is going to be super important. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So how are you getting your clients right now? You mentioned that you have 30 clients growing super fast. How are you finding your clients? How did you first find your clients initially? And then how has that maybe changed over time and what's working now for you? Yeah. So initially, like it was funny, like I was on this list called, it was like a kind of networking list called Ada's List. And it was for women in technology to kind of network and like support each other in the industry. So I would put up posts on there and like tell people about my expertise. And then I would just get a ton of people saying they wanted to like get my help. So from there, it kind of snowboarded. So it snowballed. And that was the kind of initial place I found my initial freelance work. And then it was kind of about a year ago that I really leaned into LinkedIn, which 
I think it was around the time that the pandemic hit and I guess in a little bit of panic because I hadn't really had to do much lead generation for my agency. It had grown by word of mouth more or less, but I really leaned into LinkedIn and started posting, you know, really thinking about what I was posting and posting about my ethos and my values and my entrepreneurial journey and what I believed about running a business and my team and my successes and my, sometimes my, you know, failures or vulnerabilities and doing that over time has built up a nice little following. I think doing LinkedIn, doing it well and often, as well as kind of combined with doing lots of kind of networking joining groups, like joining kind of networking forums and making friends there that then became LinkedIn contacts who then would like, like my status because they just recently met me. So they're kind of off real life, you know, offline, online, real life, real world, online world kind of combining seem to like help the algorithm a lot. So I think I get a lot of leads from LinkedIn. And then I also do like I talk at like events. I do things like this, this podcast and putting yourself out there as a thought leader definitely brings people to you. But I think I've been lucky, like I will say, the credibility from my corporate career, having worked at Etsy, having run, you know, pretty big marketing budgets in the past, having a really good track record before I started my agency certainly gives me like some, you know, some credence with people who are considering working with our agency. Yeah. I mean, you've got a phenomenal background in digital marketing. I mean, really starting as it was just getting going, right? Yeah. Um, and then exactly. working with, <laughs> with some incredible brands and then now building your own incredible brand. So I'm curious, what does your day-to-day schedule look like? Because I know, so we, we are in a mastermind together that you started with other agency owners. And so I've gotten to learn a bit, you know, behind the scenes of your business. And we became friends a couple of years ago back in Cat House Group. And I know that your team and your position in your business has really evolved over the years. So I'm just curious, what is on your plate now as the CEO? How has that changed? What does your kind of schedule look like? How much time are you spending? You mentioned you're spending time on LinkedIn, building up your network there and building relationships there. What else are you involved in? And then what have you offloaded recently that has been kind of like a big sigh of relief or kind of feel like, you know, it's okay to let my team handle this. Whereas I used to feel kind of in it all the time. Yeah. So the first thing that I handed off really was like the kind of ad operations part of the role. So I hired a little under a year ago, I hired a very senior Facebook media buyer slash kind of someone who was really experienced from big agencies. And she brought a lot of process. She brought a lot of kind of due diligence to our kind of media buying team. So we had a couple of campaign managers, but then having that senior person to kind of run the show in terms of the client delivery side really made a difference in terms of freeing me up. I still, I've just, we've got a project manager now and we've, I'm just about to promote her to head of operations and she's going to take over the finance or like invoice collection, kind of procurement, all everything to do with the accounting bookkeeping. She's going to take that over and she's also going to take over the HR function, which would be advertising roles, you know, setting up the funnel to screen them setting up interviews, all of that stuff. So that's going to take that off my plate, which I'm excited about. I currently still run the sales part of the agency, which is something I really enjoy. And it's great because I get to know the clients before we consider whether we'll take them on. But again, it's probably the next thing that I need to get off my plate. You know, I feel when you grow up, when you're growing a business, it's like you grow a bit and then you have to think of and find another thing to take off your plate so that you can continue to grow and continue to like look after the way the business is running. So piece by piece, you're kind of 
hiring people like re, you know recently hiring the creative and copy person we did have a copy person in house but we've added this person who can do creative as well because I was still involved quite a lot in the clients creative strategy but with 30 clients so that was becoming not possible so the next thing will be the sales function I think to get that off my plate because that's a fair bit of my calendar at the moment to be honest wonderful so you have built an incredible business. It's been such a joy to get to know you, Jesse, and kind of see a little bit of behind the scenes and you know put our heads together of how we can help each other grow. It's been so fantastic. Thank you for sharing this time with us and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge in the e-com space with us. I know our listeners are going to love this episode with all the valuable, actionable tips that you've provided. So where should people go to reach out to see if they may be a good fit for your program or to work with you or to hire you as their agency owner? Yeah, sure. So the best place to start is my agency website, which is www.webtopia.co. So not.com.co. And if you Google Webtopia, I think we're almost the only one in the world. So that's a good thing. So yeah, and from there, you can find our contact details and you can set up a meeting with me or my team to talk about which of our kind of options, whether it's done for you or doing working with us in the program or potentially consulting. And we would love to hear from you. Wonderful, wonderful. And then we'll also, we'll put that link in the show notes and then also put your link to LinkedIn so they can check you out on LinkedIn too. Exactly, yeah. Jesse Healy, I don't know if I'm, I'm not the only one on there, but like most people go by Jessica. So that that makes it easier to find me. (laughs) Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. Always great chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I want to give a huge thank you once again to Jesse for coming on the podcast and sharing her journey and her wisdom with us. I know I learned so much about e-com ad strategy. We covered so many topics and ideas in this episode. I would love to hear your biggest takeaways Share those with us in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 104 or tag Jesse and me on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica and she is at We Are Webtopia. And be sure to reach out to Jesse and her team if you're interested in ads management for your e-com brand or if you're interested in learning more about her program. You'll find all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash 104. And we'll be sure to include a link to her LinkedIn profile so you can easily find her there too. And thank you so much for joining Jesse and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through these six simple steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus there's an awesome checklist. so You can make sure you've got everything you need before you dive into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you love a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads for your digital products, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. We have information there about our services. As I mentioned, we'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned in today's show in the show notes, and you can find those at monicalouie.com slash 104. If you have found this helpful, please be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast app so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. Next week, I've got another incredible episode heading your way, so don't miss it. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and... Let's flourish.